Oh yeah, guys, for everyone joining, uh, you might not know what foam space is. I uh, definitely check out, I tagged their uh, main account in my tweet. Um, and you can go to like their website and their homepage has a pretty good overview of the project. So you don't necessarily need to dig into the white paper right now, uh, but the homepage of their site would kind of give you a good overview uh, if you've never heard of the of the project but we'll we'll 100% dig in dig into that on the space yeah i'm not going to lie not to like hype Ryan up cuz Ryan's in the chat right now but um after like looking into this from a use case perspective uh i'm i'm pumped i'm just i'm pumped to dive into this project cuz uh i feel like it's so new and not a lot of people know about it and there's just I could see so many use cases opening up. So, yeah, me too. I'm psyched. What's up, everyone? Thanks for having me on. Hey, Ryan. How's what it up, going? Ryan? It's going pretty well. Yeah, welcome to the base space, brother. We're we're excited to have you on. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. I've been listening in uh, these nights. So excited to get up on here. This is my first Twitter space. Oh, hell yeah, bro. We're, we're taking the cherry. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, these are these are a lot of fun, man. Uh, we just kind of started this off like a group of friends just doing shenanigans. Uh, we I basically got access to Twitter spaces during the beta. And uh, yeah, we just kind of grew a following and uh, slowly turned into a show. And we've just been bringing on all types of projects from Bancor to Avalanche to Link Pool. Uh, we've had like the founder of Phase Clan come on the space, and uh, we're just trying to provide an educational platform for everyone in crypto Twitter to learn as much about all the base projects that are that are happening in this cycle. Right, it's so much different than 2017, where now we're actually having projects with real utility um, coming to the space. So it's super exciting. Uh, yes. Yeah, so how do you guys usually want to get started? Yeah, we, we normally dig into uh, into it um, and ask, and our always our first question is like, how, Ryan, how'd you get into crypto? Um, like, what how'd, what introduced you to the space? Um, I guess uh, just a friend of mine in college had told me about Bitcoin, so I just knew about it in my background. But I was studying post-college uh, architecture and got really into kind of uh, spatial theory and had a background in economics, so I was just checking in on Bitcoin and blockchain, and I think that's around the time Vitalik was first like publishing essays around DAOs and things. So I just got really uh, fascinated by the idea, but specifically how to apply it to like spatial thinking and cities, and started off doing some like conceptual architecture competitions that utilized a blockchain in theory in like 2014, uh, and been thinking about it since. Wow, that's uh, you are super early to the game. Um... I'm actually, could you actually dive into like spatial theory, like at a high level for someone who may not really know what it is, uh, AKA like me? Yeah, for sure. It was uh, new to me. So um, I was studying like politics and economics and it's very, you know, by the book and rigorous. And I found some sort of like architectural theories that talked about politics and economics, uh, neoliberalism, but then they talk about like Blade Runner and Batman and the aesthetics of the movie and how that like affected culture. So I found in like the, the realm of architecture, there's like a deeper realm of more like just people commenting on society, but then also thinking about like the economics of buildings, how real estate development's happening, uh, how it affects like culture and the way people, cities are shaped and built. So less about like the drawing of the building and more about like just thinking about like these kinds of systems and how cities operate and the economic underlying components of it as well. Yeah, that's really cool. Um... I was like a huge fan of SimCity um, as a kid, so <laughs> I would do all. I don't know if you're familiar with that that video game, but um, it's I was like, a roller coaster tycoon man myself. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was all about the urban planning and, and trying to build out uh, the cities in like a specific fashion, right, to make them accessible and uh, grow the population basically as much as possible to hit that skyscraper goal with it within the game so um and actually one of my good buddies uh uh goes to the university of toronto or went there and uh, he did uh like urban planning he studied he studied urban planning uh because we were both so into the uh 
into the game itself. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's really cool. And then obviously like that whole experience that you had um, getting into crypto and, and being already um, passionate about um, the space, sp- how spaces and stuff interact with one another, uh, what led you to like found uh, Foam? Um, yeah, so great question. So I said I did a few like conceptual competitions where if you win, you just get like a prize. <laughs> you don't actually get to build anything. Um, but we then entered a competition here in New York City um, with the new museum for street architecture. Um, and our proposal wound up winning, which was called Foam Space, where we built uh, like the blockchain in the street out of like 10 foot geofoam blocks. Um, and then everyone who like participated or came could get a foam space token, but this was on a Bitcoin uh, counterparty at the time before Ethereum. And then we like had a block sale and sold all the blocks of geofoam like back to the manufacturer. So basically the museum didn't get to keep the architecture and then we had a budget to do another project uh, where we bought Ethereum miners and made inflatable spaces that you could like hang out in in the excess heat. So we had this kind of like funding and project of like moving value around and we've been working on it since. That's really, really cool. Is that, I believe on your site, um, I saw something called like New Lab. Is that is that part of that initiative? Um, no, so New Lab, uh, they both have new. New Lab is where we're currently based, uh, which is kind of a place for startups that are in growth stage, which is in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Um, and they have facilities like laser cutting, welding, 3D printing, and companies doing stuff with like mobility, uh, drones, et cetera. Uh, so we've been based there since 2017. Oh, that's super. That sounds um, like a really cool atmosphere. We have a different website that's kind of not advertised called foamdow.space. And uh, there you can see like the kind of more artistic projects from back in 2015. Oh, damn. Yo, Chase, we definitely got to check those out as well. Um, I guess, I guess uh, Ryan, to kind of get people more acquainted with foam, can you like talk to uh, talk to us and give us like a high level pitch of like, what foam is and then uh if you could also cover the purpose of like the foam um token itself uh yeah sure so going from this transition of you know six years ago being excited about blockchains to then realizing what it would mean to build a protocol uh foam is meant to be kind of a geospatial uh standards and protocol for web3 and we noticed like very early on that the Web3 is supposed to be interoperable and standardized, but one smart contract would use a street address. Another one was using latitude and longitude. So we already realized you had to kind of come up with the standards for these things. So we started working on ways to kind of geoencode data that would be standardized. And then a web app called a spatial index to kind of be able to interact from MetaMask and then actually have like a map from Mapbox and be able to spatialize smart contracts. Um, and so from there, we started to think about what we call proof of location, which is kind of the core of foam. So we've been developing tools that can help developers aid like maps or spatial Web3 aspects. Um, but the core then aspect of the protocol was about uh, proving location. Uh, and the first aspect was thinking about that from a point of view of a map. So how do we know if this data on chain, do we want this data on chain? Can it be uh, kept available? Um, and do we have a way that people could like update this map, uh, maintain it and challenge points or curate it? Um, because that isn't happening in the open source mapping today, people add it, but then they don't go and check it or curate it. Um, and so that is live today on Ethereum. Uh, there's map.foam.space, uh, where you can interact with that. It was one of the kind of first token curated registries. And we saw a lot of exciting, like use cases be built on top of that, uh, through hackathons and things like, uh, Yelp with a uh, chat where people could leave reviews and build reputations uh, off those locations. Uh, we've done one with Chainlink as well, uh, with Google Cloud and hooking up to other maps to try to find what would be missing on the phone one. Uh, but that was, I think, uh, with gas and things like that and other dApps have been very DeFi, that uh, still has a lot of potential to kind of uh, be reactivated. And so that was proof of location, thinking of like things on that don't move, like how can we just establish like truth about the map? Um, and so what we've been working on uh, intensely since is uh, what we would call dynamic proof of location or how do we prove things out in the world that are actually moving around. Um, and with that, we've been developing a low power uh, radio system that would work independent of GPS um, because with GPS, it's really easy to spoof your location. So if a smart contract would unlock money based off of some location input, 
uh, people are already cheating in Uber or Pokemon Go, their location. So if there were, you know, valuable NFTs or tokens at stake, uh, it would be easy to cheat your location. And so we've been developing this kind of fault tolerant uh, terrestrial based system. That would be the second component to foam where you would actually be able to verify in a fraud proof way uh, things in the real world. And so that involves low power radios, as I said, and we've been testing that here in Brooklyn and soon we'll be announcing ways that other people can help test that out. So I know that's a lot of info. I'm happy to pause there and rewind where needed. No, that that is like, yeah, that, that is a lot of information, but just kind of like taking it back, you touched on like a really, or what I thought was like a really interesting point when researching is that you essentially are, are wrapping real properties or businesses and creating a smart contract based off like geolocation data. Is that, is that like a very fair, like high level assumption at the, like at a high level on how that relationship works? Uh, yeah. So there was like a registry that would be basically maintain locations and then with the that's live today and could be expanded on and then with the radio component would be how can you like verify someone went to that restaurant versus like what is the information about it yeah and i think super you had you had a question that kind of leads into that do you want to go ahead and touch on that yeah yeah so um hey ryan i'm super but uh in the white paper you mentioned the need of geospatial data that can be verified and trusted uh, do you guys plan on integrating with Chainlink? Uh, I know you had mentioned that you use Chainlink for the proof of location. Uh, well, we were using them with a map uh, initiative. So the idea was um, with Foam, we wanted that map data to be on chain. And um, there's a lot of like centralized map, uh, Foursquare, Yelp, et cetera. Um, and the way we were using Chainlink there was with the Google Cloud uh, as like a proof of concept where we were like scanning other maps, like centralized maps and like cross-referencing them with the phone map and then looking uh, what data would be needed. So we did an example one in Osaka where then um, we incentivized like a very specific area based off what was missing uh, and like correlating it with other people's maps. And then you could like, if you map that area, uh, submit to the Chainlink Oracle and get kind of paid out like that. So you could like kind of incentivize a swarm for like mapping. And just want to clarify the two types of proof of location. One is about like data on a map. And then the one that involves radios is like verifying cars and things like moving around. So um, we're open to explore how other ways oracles could be used in that version as well. Yeah, that's super interesting. Thank you. Um, also in your white paper, I see you utilize crypto space coordinates which is like an Ethereum wrapped smart contract proving the geographical location. Uh, could you explain that a little bit more in depth? Uh, yeah, so that was kind of what I was alluding to earlier of just like a standard. So that is like a standard anyone can integrate into their own use case or smart contract. It's not tied to the foam token. Um, and it, there's different ways to like encode geospatial information. It could be like a street address, like 19 Times Square, New York. Could be like latitude and longitude, uh, et cetera. Um, and in Ethereum, it doesn't handle like floating points well. So having like really specific lat long uh, doesn't really work. Uh, and then just like regular street addresses would be confusing to be standardized across countries. So we used an existing open source geoencoding standard called the GeoHash, and then made like a standardized way that any smart contract could claim a GeoHash location and then get its own unique identifier and um, would be compatible with any other project that used that standard. Um, and we were talking with kind of like different geospatial bodies that were interested in blockchain and that have standards for how to do things like in web two. So that it was kind of our first step of just realizing that there wasn't any kind of like location standards being developed. So, um, we've seen projects use that, uh, when they wanted to have a map and show things and give, uh, locations addresses to their smart contract. So anyone could claim a crypto spatial coordinate that doesn't mean that they're actually physically there. So that's where the other parts of the protocol come in. Sweet. Thank you very much. So, Chase, did you? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, th uh, thank you for laying out like at a high level um, what the phone protocol is. And I understand that there are a couple of ways in which you can participate in phone uh, as either like a signal or you can offer location services. Uh, could you kind of like dive into that and what that would look like on both sides? Uh, yeah, for sure. So I guess what I spoke about the most so far was ways that you could either just add data to this map or build different dApps on it. 
Um, and kind of the bridge between that and then doing things in the real world is what you brought up, which is called signaling. Um, and so signaling is also live today on the phone map. And instead of adding like point of interest location, um, you kind of just signal with tokens that you want location services in that area. Um, and by location services, I mean these radios. Um, and so there's something like a million dollars worth of foam tokens that are locked in all these different signals. They might be in Austin, Texas, they might be in England, and the user can select a radius um, and an amount of foam they want to stake. And it actually then mints an NFT. Um, and so that NFT then has properties of how much foam is backing it, how big of an area it's signaling, and also how old it is. Uh, and that's kind of a preemptive mechanism to then um, have the protocol kind of control where the radios will get deployed when they're then released so that not all of them just get in New York City or something. Uh, signaling is a way to show where people would want that service. So if you then uh, set up this foam zone network, we call it a zone of coverage, where there was like signals, uh, your mining rewards would be like a lot higher because you're basically fulfilling someone's demand. Um, and so there's signals that people have basically been waiting to get their hands on these radios for some time. So there's signals that exist today that are pretty old and we might have some uses for them uh, to reward older ones uh, with some other programs uh, I can get into. Um, and so that's uh, there today. And the third way of this offering location services is actually running these radios and installing them uh, across different roofs as we've done in Brooklyn. Um, and that's uh, formally going to be announced this summer of how you can get involved. Uh, basically, we're calling it the Trust Zone Program and that you can be a zone operator and basically uh, build one of the first zones, help test them, explore use cases and kind of uh, be incentivized to be like an early stakeholder. So that's kind of like the real meat of the protocol that's been under development for uh, the last few years. And it's probably the largest way people can get involved. That's really cool. Um, I did see uh, one of the radios, I think it was on maybe in your profile or on the, the company's profile. I noticed it had solar panels. Are you guys trying to make the, the radios themselves self-sustaining so they don't need other uh, power sources? Um, yeah, so to get into the radios, um, we're very much like on the open source path and ways that those can be, you know, not dependent on one manufacturer and um, et cetera. So people will be able to have their own setups. Uh, I spoke earlier about the new lab where there are a lot of innovative companies outside the realm of blockchain. So that was a company we partnered with that makes solar panels uh, and we were kind of testing it out. So some of them have permanent power, some are using solar panels and like each person set up can kind of customize it to their liking. That's really, really cool. I think that's uh, a way for the uh, radio operators themselves to be like innovative and uh, help optimize the product. So um, that's pretty, that's pretty dope. Um, did want to dive into uh, the field of applications if Chase or Suba uh, is okay with moving on. Yeah. Yeah, I'm totally good with moving on. Cool, cool. Um, I was kind of curious, like, how this product would potentially um, interact with the, the upcoming Internet of Things and uh, different smart devices that, that we're seeing today. Could you kind of maybe uh, outline some examples or maybe current work with, with Internet of Things devices? Um, yeah, for sure. I can also maybe start by taking a step back of um, how we came to work on this proof of location and looking into IoT. Um, and this wasn't spoken about as much two years ago, but you can find a lot of articles about it now that um, essentially GPS is uh, you know vulnerable um, from like a nation state point of view, but then from like people with Lime scooters or Uber can kind of you know mess with the system. And the government's only responsible for keeping the satellites you know running. Uh, and those satellites don't know anything about what's happening on the ground. They only send signals out uh, to the ground. Um, and so from an IoT point of view, uh, one, those signals like don't work well indoors. So like in the new lab where we work, we can't get GPS reception. And for an IoT device that's meant to like last a long time, um, GPS is like one of the most power uh, hungry aspects of a IoT sensor. Um, so that's just like some things to keep in mind. And coming from the blockchain point of view, we we're thinking about how can you generate location proofs that are you know fault tolerant and can't be cheated or spoofed. Um, and that's these kind of zones that will offer this service. Um, so just the most basic use case is that foam location is a new primitive. We call it a presence claim that any sort of user would be able to check in with this zone cryptographically and uh, basically make a cryptographic attestation about their location that only could have been 
uh, obtained by being there. So that unlocks just a lot of like very straightforward use cases where any sensor that's collecting data, if you it checks in once a day, well, you have like a higher uh, ability to believe that that data is real or that sensor was actually there. Uh, or just if a package was being dropped off in this zone, um, instead of having someone take a photo, which could be of someone else's house, um, they have to like check into the zone and then the payment's unlocked. So I think uh, in IoT, like having a way to prove that that sensor is out still out there and producing data will you know, add a lot in terms of value of the data. But I think that once you think about this new primitive, it can also, you know, how it would operate unlocking different smart contracts and different, you know, building into different use cases is where I think a lot of the excitement can come as well. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. So you're, so like an example may be, um, I have a sensor that's near my garbage can outside and, and, and I basically pay the garbage man any, any time that, he comes and collects it, right? And it's flagged. Um, and I, uh, when the garbage man comes and basically removes that um, can or shows up at my house, is that is that kind of like a basic example of how you're? Uh, yeah, exactly. And other than this location primitive, a lot of that is possible today. So you can get like an IoT sensor that actually monitors a garbage bin to know when it's full and when it's empty. And then you can have the smart contract that unlocks the payment to the garbage man in this made up example when the sensor says it's empty and he's like submitted proof he was there mm, yeah yeah i could definitely see this uh being tapped into with a lot of delivery and, and home services that's that's very interesting and uh and cool um and i know you guys are producing a ton of uh geospatial data with this product um i'm curious if you could touch on like how you envision this uh, supporting the creation of like different uh, decentralized data marketplaces. And um, I was wondering if you're going to, if you guys plan on maybe uh, feeding data to um, protocols like Chainlink and putting that data, you know, up for sale on, on essentially their, their marketplace. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so back to what I was saying about the setup of the zone, um, each zone operator also has kind of flexibility to, you know, run the zone as they wish. And it also has to do with their overhead costs. So if you're in Palo Alto and you're like renting roof space from someone or their balconies, their rent's really high. So they're going to charge you a lot. Uh, and so maybe you're charging in Dai or some sort of weird premium for that zone. Um, but the zone operator could also have other kinds of hardware uh, coupled with it that contribute to other kinds of protocols. Um, and then basically there's a lot of data availability aspects of this. So how can like the data that the zone is just generating about time and space be you know indexed and like checked for fraud or something that violates the laws of physics and then yes um the foam radios will be like uh primary purpose is to synchronize time and be able to do these location proofs but uh they can also accept other kinds of messages from other iot devices any kinds of sensor basically so if you have like foam zone coverage it doubles as kind of like an iot relay network as well and so that would allow you if like the core incentivization of foam is let's like build these zones where we really want that coverage, then it gives you all these use cases with location proofs, but it de facto gives you also like a Ethereum relay network for any IoT sensor. That's not necessarily a location proof. Uh, we made a demo called Foam Light of like a barcode scanner that relays that to a foam radio and then mints an NFT of that data. So it's flexible that then you could you know point that to different indexers or different kind of Oracle streams or data markets. Could you could you touch on the uh, the relationship of you know like say you do have a uh, like a radio tower and you're searching for essentially like pings within that zone? How do those pings pop up in the first place? Like I, I would assume like it's a it's an opt in, or you have to have like sensors that are connected to the network in of itself to be uh, accessed um, and then further like monetized. Like how how does that relationship work? Yeah, it's a really great question. Um, so yeah, one is, is it's definitely opt-in. The intention is to have this be privacy preserving so that like the weather app doesn't sell your data. We get a lot of hate mail from like people just accusing us of being the government wanting to track them. <laughs> um, so it's definitely opt-in and that you like have to like request a presence claim and potentially pay its fee. Um, and then the question would be like, why would the zone like believe that you would be able to pay? Well, maybe you've like, there's a registry of people who want to be part of the system. 
and you can see they have money in their account or something to that effect. Um, this can go pretty deep in how like you could do different kinds of privacy in terms of key rotation, uh, et cetera. Uh, we're not really focused on that right now, but it's definitely opt-in in that you kind of like ask the zone to basically add your message into its log. And the zone has to kind of maintain this log of just like being in sync and maintaining time synchronization uh, for that area. And so, yeah, it's kind of like woken up when a user interacts with it. And so right now it's just the ones that we told to look out for <laughs> in the testing. Right. And so like in the future, could this be kind of like an iPhone app for like an average like person that just runs in the background? Um, um, yeah, so I should clarify like the kinds of radios we're using. So we're using a low power radio um, that you don't need a license to operate. So anyone could like run these and run a business off of it. Um, but they are not in any sort of like uh, Android or iPhone device at this time. Uh, that said, the tracker, the radios themselves can be really small. So you could think of it like a ledger. So in the early stages, people who really care about creating these location proofs could have a device that they control from their iPhone with a Bluetooth message or something. Uh, or they could be would be integrated as low power sent, uh, radios into IoT devices or like built into a scooter or what have you. Um, you kind of touched on it earlier, but I'm, I'm, I am curious around like um, how you, how you, how you envision this interacting with maybe uh, supply chains and um, tracking, tracking different services with them. And I'm, I'm also curious if outside of like the vehicles themselves or trains and things like that uh, within a supply chain, um, do you think that this would be able to track um like individual items potentially like in a, in a physical vehicle or train or something like that? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. So supply chain is like a pretty straightforward use case. Like, so let's say you had coverage at like a port um, and every time like a truck came to pick up like a big pallet of packages, it like got proof that uh, it had picked them up. And then maybe you have coverage at its destination, which is maybe a train yard. So then you have proof of when the trucker uh, arrived there. Um, and that's, you know, these immutable proofs. So you have this like assurance that you didn't have, or it's cheaper than these expensive like GPS trackers that could be spoofed. Uh, but then maybe the user is like, that's not good enough. I want to know where it is like halfway through or something to that effect. That's where um, this kind of signaling comes in where, you know, someone could be incentivized to then add coverage uh, in between those two points. And then if it's like demanded by the market, maybe there's ultimately continuous coverage between the destination and uh, the endpoint. Um, the protocol itself, uh, in terms of like the blockchain component is radio agnostic. So these low power radios uh, wouldn't be able to track something at like a millimeter level, but there are other kinds of radios that work well indoors that could, for example, be running the phone, a phone version of the phone protocol that then can actually track where the item ended up on which shelf, for example. Yeah, yeah, that's that's super interesting because um, I could definitely see like Amazon, for example, who operates massive warehouses, right, wanting to track all of their items and where everything is. And um, yeah, I could see, I could totally see them setting up sensors and trying to do something. Um, yeah, so there, there's there's a radio called ultra wideband, and a lot of companies offer it. Um, and so they you can do like super precise tracking in a warehouse. It's just that you you have to put them like every ten feet, so it doesn't really scale beyond like one place and that's why it's probably not the first to be decentralized where the foam outdoor kind of network you can like set up a very large zone that could then service a lot of use cases yeah yeah i yeah that totally makes sense um kind of diving into a different different aspect um how do you see like foam playing into different mobility services and um helping the growth of like the autonomous vehicle industry. Uh, yeah, so there's a company we're speaking with that's based where we are, it's called PAVE. And they make these like uh, like personalized electric bikes um, that are kind of like mini sized. And they came to us because they were working on like an NFT ownership sharing platform idea where, you know, these bikes are expensive, maybe they cost $2,000 and maybe one of your friends bought one, but then you would be able to like rent it from them uh, through like borrowing this token. And uh, that's like just an example there where it's web three and you could, instead of having the contract look for some GPS input, 
it would like look for this kind of foam uh, request. And so there uh, is kind of helping this like new share sharing ownership model of like new kinds of like mobility, but then ways that it could be more secure that you can really trust that you can lend out your access token and that the person uh, actually, you know, was there and dropped it off where they said they did, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 that, that makes complete sense. Um, and maybe, maybe like, how does this also play into insurance, like, um, in, into the market? Yeah, I'll give like two hypotheticals on like two very large extremes. Um, so I've spoken to some very large crypto holders who have residency in Puerto Rico, and they have these apps that like track how many hours per year they spent in Puerto Rico, because to get like the tax benefit, you have to, uh, be there for like six months or something. Um, and so that's like something that could be, you know, decentralized or be more secure. And on kind of like a micro use case, like imagine if you bought like a train ticket with insurance and if it was like the train was late without any like human intervention, you could like get a refund or a discount because you're there, the train's not there. And that was just like part of the deal that you bought on that ticket, for example, that came with insurance. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that, that, that makes complete sense. Um, Chase, you want to dive into the next uh, segment? Yeah. Uh, so switching gears a little bit to touch on the uh, cartographer section, um, I thought this was like a really interesting piece of your website. Uh, just kind of like start off at a high level. Could you touch on the cartographers and how they can collect these POIs um, or like points of interest? Um, sure. Um, so it's not uh, collecting in, in more that it's like work to be done of like, I guess, cartography of like adding the information. Um, and so that's like a smart contract registry called the foam token curated registry. And the web UI is on map.foam.space. Uh, and there you can add a point of interest to the map, essentially. So you like click where you want it to. And then it hey, has Ryan, a we're, uh, we're losing a little bit. Could you okay. describe maybe just like going on a mute and then maybe unmute, see if that helps. It was kind of like choppy. Any better? Nah, it's still sounding a little, a little uh, robotic. It's good yeah, on my end. Kind of my end. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> it's me then. Never mind, Ryan. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I sound okay. Yeah, yeah, you sound good. Uh, okay. Um. Yeah, so there's a web interface, map.foam.space, and you can essentially click any point on the map and add a business. So let's say Joe's Coffee Shop, add a description, a website, et cetera. And there's like a minimum stake, uh, and that's just meant to like make sure that someone has some faith in that uh, information. And then uh, you can also challenge any point for the amount staked. And there's probably a lot of points that um, places went out of business since COVID. Um, and so there's also then when this challenge is happening, different voting, et cetera. And I think the system was like pretty stress test and, uh, you know, it was time to kind of make upgrades along this curve of like uh, new paradigm and gas in Ethereum. So um, I think like we saw a lot of exciting apps get built on top of this map in hackathons, uh, but I think it's next version needs to live on, you know, like a layer two to kind of solve the fact that the economic uh, incentives don't, equal the same as in DeFi to kind of pay gas for something that's not meant to be the same level of like game theory profit. And I, I, uh, I had to drop off to reconnect. So I apologize if you just touched on this. Um, I kind of caught the end of that. But um, from my understanding, the new places they have to go through multiple stages before it's verified. Um, if you haven't already, could you dive a little bit deeper into that and like how the community verification for like these crowdsourced places works? Um, yeah, sure. Um, so basically when you added a new point, it would, there'd be a period where it had a certain status of like new point. Um, and then uh, it would basically signal to people that you would want to look into this to make sure it's like a real point or not a real point. Um, and then, um, this is something we kind of like already realized uh, after the fact that maybe you don't actually need that stage because it requires like a Ethereum call to then uh, someone has to actually change the status in the registry and that costs gas. And uh, 
and then basically the third status it could be in is be challenged. And so that's either when it's a new point or it's been verified because it's been on the map for already five days. And that basically means that the information's incorrect um, and or maybe the place doesn't exist. And that would turn the color of it in the UI red. And then it opens kind of a voting period where people could vote if the point could stay or be removed. Uh, and there was a lot of like interesting learnings from that because there's a minimum stake of 50 foam, but people felt <laughs> the need to stake, you know, a million foam. And then that's very attractive for someone to want to challenge that. Um, so we had a lot of definitely learnings already of how to improve the way that the contracts operate. Gotcha. And so you kind of touched on my next question was like, you know, how the protections are in place to avoid like low quality submissions. Is yeah. that, you know, you for you to identify a place you have to stake your tokens and they, they could be potentially slashed? Uh. Yeah, so that was to stop people from adding like um, like bogus points. I think uh, one of the main learnings that needs to be implemented is like to be a challenger, you should also have points as well. So therefore, if someone started challenging a lot, there is no way to directly retaliate against them if they didn't have a lot of points already. So we've already seen a lot of ways that uh, the system could be improved. So I think if anyone's interested, uh, we want to move that to a place that's more gas, gas efficient and have the map, you know, coexist with the radio network as well. Um, Ryan, I also saw on your website that you guys have a, a partnership with um, Tendermint, and I was curious, like, how that plays into into Foam. Oh yeah, um, good eye. Um, so we've been close with the Tendermint team for a long time, and Tendermint, one of the main use cases uh, when it was originally conceived was for IoT um, due to its like fast block times and different uh, fault tolerant trade-offs. And so we've been thinking of you know these zones I've been describing of these radios. Um, the intention is that to operate them, you also have to stake into a service level agreement, basically maintaining that you're gonna you know keep uh, the time and space of the zone in order uh, or else he'll be slashed and then you're eligible for rewards um, and that the kind of data between this zone that's being created should be maintained uh, on something like a blockchain. And so we, we were thinking Tendermint uh, would be and still are think, considering that that would be a great option for individual zones to actually run a Tendermint chain. Um, and so our team also is a functional programming team. So uh, I know that everyone Uh, sorry, I cut off for a second. Uh, so we work a lot in things like Haskell and PureScript. And so we had a grant from the uh, Cosmos Foundation to write the Cosmos SDK in Haskell to allow there to be more than languages than just Go. Uh, and we've worked on different things with them in the past. So that's still a, maybe one of the ways that different zones will be able to actually maintain consensus uh, within them. If you just had you know four radios on a city block, uh, they would have like their own blockchain tethered to a larger one. I'm actually uh, interested, Ryan, from like a partnership perspective or just kind of like a growth perspective. What what is the the biggest thing for you guys to kind of grow from here? Like, do you have a, a business development team that's looking to kind of share these solutions with logistics companies, or like how how do we or how does Foam scale from here? Um, yeah. So our next step uh, in terms of engaging the community is this trust zone program. So there's only one zone running right now that we run experiments on every day and improve. Um, and that's in an industrial setting. So we need to see how does this work, you know, in a rural setting, in a different city, et cetera. Um, and so the first round will be eligible for five teams or five people to basically um, get their hands on our uh, radio devices and help build these zones because and help the kind of basically grassroots research effort, which is uh, covered in the white paper of basically fine tuning the performance of these radios and having more than one zone out there uh, is reduces the friction of showing people how it works and operates. Uh, you can then test like Web3 use cases, et cetera, and those will be incentivized networks because the kind of testing still needs to be ongoing, but now at a point where other people can get involved. Um, and what's being worked on in parallel is different aspects of the protocol, but also a device for manufacturing. And so uh, that's underway. And when it's um, more available, there'll be kind of like a, a way for people to uh, get pre-order or get their hands on these radios that are, you know, more consumer friendly than the initial round of ones of people that will be getting started this summer. Yeah, that's, um, 
that's really interesting. And from like, just so it can help paint a more like conceptual perspective uh, for me, like what is the value prop um, whenever you're kind of approaching these uh, companies or, you know, potential customers eventually, like what, what is the value prop or like the sales pitch that to kind of get them on board for them to see the value of why they would adopt something like this? Um, yeah, for us, it's kind of like the next generation of location technology. Um, because when you talk to anyone like from an Uber, they've spent hundreds of millions of dollars trying to stop drivers from spoofing these things all the way to like a Niantic that is losing revenue because they want to partner with people with stores where people go because they're playing their game like Pokemon Go, but they have a huge like spoofing problem. So really on kind of like data integrity and allowing these kind of like location markets to flourish because we feel they're currently suppressed because a lot of these use cases that get tried, whether it's like a Burger King retail deal or it's something in supply chain or logistics, um, we think that that like marketplace is like completely suppressed. Um, and so we're kind of focusing on having the technology actually work and then engaging the community to like have more examples of it working and then kind of move to this next phase of like um, saying, okay, uh, it's working in these like five pilot places, like we can bring it to your, you know, warehouse or bring it to your uh, port because it, we've been testing it out with like all these like different networks running for X amount of time. Yeah, that's uh, that's extremely interesting. And you, you, you touched on Uber, right? And at the end of the day, it's kind of like Uber just taps into some data and connects um, riders location data with, you know, drivers location data. So it's going to be really fascinating in a in a future in which uh, there's much more granular tracking across uh, really just kind of everything and seeing what creativity is like sparked from developers. Um, I'd be curious, like, have you, is there any, because you had, you had mentioned that this data may one, one day be monetized through Chainlink to where developers could access it and create value. Are there any kind of like crazy ideas you've dreamed up that have yet to be implemented or, you know, thought of? Um, I think like just the idea itself of like, you know, everyone finds it so revolutionary that you have like a Swiss bank account, as I think President Obama said in your pocket with crypto and like you've been able to not have your own bank and i think uh you know the mindshare really needs to grow of how your location data today is currently used and so i think it's a pretty big idea if you had like equivalent kind of secure wallet but it was like location receipts that only you controlled and like controlled which apps that you could reveal it to and i think that for me the biggest thing is just that uh existing where you could be building up different kinds of reputations and different kinds of communities by proving you're at you know x event or x party and what that can unlock in terms of, you know, what we're seeing in kind of DAOs and NFT spaces of, you know, different kinds of uh, real world examples of these kind of Web3 technologies, like building communities, building reputations, uh, having different kind of loyalty points, with different organizations, and what kind of then smart contracts can kind of like utilize this data to, you know, trigger other kinds of actions. So I don't have one specific uh, one. And I would say like the example of, you know, Twitter itself didn't invent hashtags, you know, the users came up with it. So uh, I think introducing this new primitive is, you know, the biggest vision and then seeing how everyone utilizes it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's super interesting. I have, I have NFTs on my mind. We had an NFT episode uh, last night and just combining that with like saying artists, like I could see maybe an artist has a rewards program to where they could check, you could share the location, right? To prove that you've shown up to like three of their concerts and maybe do you get some sort of special access NFT from that artist directly? Like yeah, is that exactly. something that could be applicable through that technology? Yeah, absolutely. So that uh, I think like all the, there's so many use cases, if, as long as you just think in that framework uh, could be, you know, no one could afford Beeple $60 million artwork, but anyone who physically went to Sotheby's maybe then got like a surprise piece from him, you know, and it could even be six months later because you have these things as like receipts or something. Yeah. Wow. This is, uh, it, it really is kind of like whatever, wherever your imagination leads you. Uh, honestly, I think with one of these things, um, that's awesome. We need, we need to create like a scavenger hunt, you know, <laughs> I don't know if anyone ever did like those like hidden boxes and things like you go hiking into the woods and you go find a, like a box or something and uh, 
you uh there's like some mystery item in it um this kind of reminds me of that like you could set up these sensors and um encourage almost encourage people to go to different locations and uh and verify them like hey i went to i don't know uh <laughs> chick-fil-a in, in all 50 states or something like that you know um, and you get some sort of special nft reward from doing so uh that you can like show off to your friends and or maybe you get uh a free item or something i don't know yeah, I mean, for us, like I said, we're working on like the radios, the hardware, uh, hard problems, and then we'll see where it gets the most traction. It could be in something industrial like a supply chain, or it could be on like brand loyalty points for Chick-fil-A road trips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I I, uh, I really enjoy the, uh, the industrial uh, supply chain applications. I think that that has... Uh, Real use, real use case, and I could definitely see like these sensors being set up on all major highways, um, along a railway, for example, um, at different airports to kind of verify uh, check-in points. So I think that that is uh, super cool. And the the concept that you touched on earlier around like uh, GPS spoofing and how you know that's being manipulated in Pokemon Go and Uber, um, and probably even being manipulated today in different delivery services. Um, I think that that's a huge issue that you guys are solving with this, with this product. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's been amazing for us to see outside of crypto, how this went from being like an obscure topic to like the government actually passing laws that, you know, backups to GPS need to be made to then the conclusion being, we can't make one singular backup because GPS is, does so much to like, we're going to need an ecosystem of solutions. And, uh, I think we're the only ones approaching it from, low cost and cryptography and being able to be part of web three. So definitely think there's, it's going to be much needed. Oh, some crazy use cases is very simple, but um, like Filecoin is proof of space time. So you can prove your uh, information is on different hard drives, but you can't prove if those hard drives are all in the same warehouse that might, you know, catch on fire. Yeah. You actually, you touch on something interesting with the government and I could actually see, um governments funding some of these zones uh is that something like you can kind of envision as well just from like a um you know like a national security perspective you know if something was ever to happen to like gps satellites it would probably be good for some countries to have these types of infrastructure in place to have like you mentioned like backups right yeah um, uh, it's happening and you know with the government bureaucracy I think they only got like 10 million funded for this initiative for this year's budget. And like, when you look at the amount of money in blockchain, that's a very small amount. It's uh, for just that government research. In this. So everyone's ringing the alarm bell that we need these backups. But I think the quickest way is to, you know, use a decentralized network to kind of get it up there, especially at first in the most critical places like a airport or a major public place where there's the most use cases. And how we're going to approach it is, one, make this technology available to the community and in public and have incentives. Uh, and then us as a company, you know, treating it like a business and approaching like supply chains or actual customers, but then hopefully also empowering these zone operators to potentially, you know, grow themselves and in their own region, find customers or expand the amount of zones they offer as well. And potentially, I think in a lot of small cities or small towns, there's a lot of like tech initiatives or they want to you know, have the next generation of technology. And this is a very tangible way where, you know, you can take photos of it and then test it. And, you know, it might be that the people who decide to join our community and set these up in their towns or villages or whatever might make, you know, their own partnerships with those governments or local businesses. Yeah. Could you actually expand on that a little bit more? I know you had touched on the zone operators earlier, but, um, you know, say someone is interested and potentially becoming a zone operator, like what? Is, what does the startup cost look like to for that to kind of come to fruition? Uh, yeah, really excited to talk about that. So um, it, this isn't formally announced, but the kind of first round will be available for five teams or five people, um, and I'm pretty certain there won't be location restrictions. And for this first round, um, there won't be any hardware costs. It'll probably be part of like being accepted to the program, um, and the eligibility, other than. Uh, some technical ones and being interested will be on having locations that you can use for this system. So that's either then yourself is partnering with the university. Uh, you maybe own four buildings, maybe your friends live in them. So you don't have to ask permission and you can set them up there. Um, and they'll kind of come with tripods so you can like test zones in like a field or test them on different roofs before you then want to install them. 
Uh, and then installing them is kind of like mounting them. Uh, they're in these enclosures. They're not that large. Uh, then you have to like drill these mounts into the wall. Uh, there's an antenna and you need like some sort of power. So whether that's uh, going to be solar or permanent. And then based on each person's um, situation, they're going to have to, you know, find a way to allow the person who owns the building to be okay with this or find another way to put it up there without anyone knowing. Um, and so anyone uh, who's listening now, uh, you can reach out to me after this if you're it's something interested to you. But we're going to be releasing like resources and guides of, you know, what to look for, etc. And like questions that people have of like, oh, how far apart can they be? Well, that's the kind of point of this program um, because we only have access to buildings that are so far apart and it works. Um, and so someone else may be able to test it, you know, even at a bigger zone, for example. Um, and so the the ones that we currently use uh, cost around like 500 to $600 of like off the shelf equipment and has like one custom part. And then we would be targeting a cost like that for ones manufactured, but still some months away of getting any sort of quotes. Yeah, that you kind of touched on one one question I had was um, the distance between it. But is this something that would be more beneficial if you live in a, a slightly higher populated area? Um, no, especially not in this first round. Um, it may perform better in a rural area. And like the main goal of this first round is actually like data collection of like seeing how it performs. Um, and then as we were talking earlier with use cases, uh, one of the best use cases may be something agricultural. So it's great that there is a zone out there. Um, so there's no like, the market ultimately will decide if like zones are more important in rural versus cities. But for the first community people participating, it doesn't matter uh, where you are. That's awesome. Uh, thank you for, for sharing that. I'm sure uh, I, I'm interested in learning more. Um, could you possibly share the the resource for that or a link if people are interested in diving into that a little bit more? Um, it could be through like a DM and we can we can tweet it out. Uh, but going from here, uh, where, where do you see foam going in the next three to five years? Um, yeah, I, well, ideally, um, through all our hard work and the community that will be forming around this, um, the zones will be operating and be integrated into kind of the Web3 economy as like new location proofs. Um, and we spoke all the way at the beginning of this call of, you know, how we got introduced into the space and different kinds of spatial thinking. And so uh, our first priority is building foam location. But over three to five years, as that gets, you know, ingrained uh, and operating, we would want to see, you know, the foam protocol expand into other forms of, you know, spatial activities, whether that's actually ownership of spaces, ways that they're funded, all these kinds of IoT sensors that are, you know, waiting to be hooked up to Ethereum, other kinds of uh, basically a full stack of the space. How can we, you know, have the, that be part of the ownership economy and have that be part of, uh, you know, how we actually live in cities or in rural environments. So if we uh, succeed in building the foam network, we would be, you know, looking to decentralize other parts of, you know, our spatial existence. A hundred percent. Ryan, would you be uh, open to having some folks from the audience if they have questions come on? Uh, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, yeah, if, any, if anyone has questions, feel free to request. I'll let you guys on one at a time. Looks like we have Stu Kid requesting. Hey, what's going on, Stu Kid? I don't think he's on yet. Oh, there he is. I see him on my screen. Can you guys hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you. Sorry about that. First time talking on spaces. Uh, on the radio range, is there a max on it? And within that, uh, how many of the IoT devices could it track at any one time? Basically trying to get at you know the, the density needed to, to cover uh, you know any any given area. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks for your question. Um, so the largest area that we have between nodes currently is like a thousand meters. Um, and so they could potentially be bigger. Uh, we just haven't tested fully in zone. The actual LoRa radio uh, can go like multiple miles, 
but it's a like in this chirp spread spectrum. So it will like bounce around. So if you only need to send like one message, uh, it can go really far. Uh, but with foam, you need at least four zone anchor radios like staying in sync. And so it's probably not as far as just a regular transmission, but could probably be larger than, you know, a thousand meters apart. So that's what we want to kind of investigate. Um, and to that point, I think that it, we'll have to return to that question of how many it can be accepting per time, because then the minimum per zone would be four zone anchors. We've already seen with adding five, it's improved. So I think that would be dependent per zone of how many zone anchors it has and then how many users it can um, handle. And then that if presence claim first or something to that effect. So it's going to depend on how many zones, anchors there are and how big the zone is. Uh, and I, th then... I think we're losing you, Ryan. Uh, I, I can actually hear him. Uh, it might be on your, your end. <laughs> <me too. laughs> uh, can... Keep going. So the app has and how big it is. And then maybe that's like a great grant uh, for everyone, for someone to like find that answer mathematically for each zone. Got it. Thank you. Ryan, I'm actually, um, for, for clarity, could you dive in? So if you, if you were to be one of the first zone operators and you, and you set up the four anchors, uh, like then what, what, what data is being consumed or what testing is happening at that point? If it's that opt-in, um, data sharing model. Um, yeah, so the first people would be kind of replicating what we, we, we are doing or what we have done. Um, so the first thing you would be testing is something we call a visibility test. So that's just like how do these four zone uh, radios see each other uh, and can they like hear each other well? And that's just like the most basic like initial tests. And that's kind of on evaluating your setup. Um, and so maybe you have good Tops, but you need to like put them on different parts of the rooftop. So these are just like the most basic tests. Um, once the zone is kind of established, whether it's temporary or you've actually drilled it into the wall, uh, it can run like automated kind of tests where it just runs like localization scripts and then you can like process that data, uh, et cetera. And maybe people are competing on who's getting the best results. Uh, and that's just on like establishing the zone. And that might be a lot of work of like actually finding the right location, getting the permission and setting it up. Um, but then what we actually then want testing is like these use cases. So uh, actually someone walking around on the ground that has a radio transmitter or putting it on some sort of vehicle or bike uh, and kind of testing the results. And uh, maybe we were updating the firmware. So you're like cross-checking like that same experiment and uh, kind of like setting up different kinds of experiments of how your zone operates, et cetera. And we'll have different like phases of like incentive structures of like your zone maturing. So one is like uh, your visibility test as well. So you should like move on to like installing it permanently. And as those zones are like kind of built and matured, um, maybe they're competing against each other. Like I said, uh, maybe there are more rewards for like testing a new use case. Um, and then <clears throat> more of those could be added. And then what we'll be uh, testing then as the zone is like there uh, and trusted is like things then on the blockchain side. So like stress testing kind of consensus rules and different kinds of like uh, spoofing or cheating in the system. So kind of having it there over time will be like changing or upgrading over time what's being tested. And we'll be starting with five. Maybe there'll be more added five, 10, 15, 20. Um, and then on these radios, build them themselves, buy them from us and, you know, follow the rules of the protocol to add it. Gotcha. Wow. Okay. That's awesome. And then are you guys planning on having any sort of um, incentive program for this like beta testing for these early adopters or like early testers, I guess I should say. Uh, yeah. So I think that we think that the, for the people accepted that kind of prove their interest um, and wanting to kind of pursue this uh, will definitely be rewarded as a stakeholder. So there'll be an incentivized um, kind of test net program. Uh, we have other things under development in regards to like liquidity uh, incentives that may tie into these signals. And then, which is in the white paper, or maybe in the more technical white paper, uh, when it's kind of live on mainnet, there are like mining rewards for zones to operate 
that are then influenced by signals. So there will be incentives for kind of the first adopters, and then there will be incentives for when it's like permissionless. That's awesome. So guys, if you're listening in chat, and uh, this is something that really interests you, reach out to Ryan. Uh, yeah, we're definitely completely looking to connect with anyone who's interested in kind of devoting time to this, but being able to be like a very early stakeholder and kind of helping uh, grow the network from, you know, one zone here in Brooklyn to, you know, opening up to a permissionless network. That's awesome. That is super. Um, Did you have any other guests? I don't think think you should know. Uh, I'm not sure if it's on my end. You're cutting out super. Um, Yeah. If there's anyone else from the audience that has a question, uh, go ahead and request. Um, Ryan, you've answered like all of our questions. I don't have any more questions. Um, we don't have any other people requesting. Um, I think we can close it out here. Yo, can you guys hear me? Hey, John, what's up? Yo, what's up? Um, thanks for speaking with us, Ryan. Um, I was thinking about one application was like traffic flow, maybe. Have you guys talked about that? I know you talked about like autonomous vehicles, but like studying traffic flow with these, um, with the IoT and with the zones. Also, like another question is, um, moving trust zones, like, is that even possible in the future? <clears throat> um, yeah, I'll start with the first question. The, just as we said with all these kind of use cases, uh, if, if it can utilize this primitive, it can probably be implemented. And so traffic flow is definitely one that could play a role. The one that we looked into more was actually odometer spoofing, which is apparently like a billion dollar issue uh, where people like cheat how much, any, how many miles the car had actually like uh, driven. Uh, as well as like congestion pricing apparently is uh, something cities are looking into of kind of like regulating like the tolls based off how many like to kind of try to reduce rush hour. So definitely a system like this could probably uh, implement those kind of rules easier. Um, And sorry, what was your second question? Well, in the future, will you be able to like have mobile trust zones? Oh, yeah. Um, I think that's the most extreme um, some like NASA research we were looking into that had a similar concept was like envisioning them as like the drone, the zone anchors as like drones in, uh, on like the moon or something. Uh, so that's definitely possible from a physics point of view. It'd be pretty challenging to test. So maybe have that as like a special ops <laughs> research department. Thanks. Thanks. That's really cool. Thanks for the question, awesome. John. Appreciate you coming on, man. Hey, uh, uh, your connection actually sounds pretty good now. Yeah, Wait, I have another question. All right. Um, can you hear me? Yep. I have another question. Um, so you talked about using Cosmos and Tendermint, and that's like a multi-chain protocol. So like, are you guys thinking about connecting with multiple chains in the future? Uh, yeah, so as I was speaking, like the intention is that each zo- like local zone will have its own consensus mechanism. And so by nature, it'll need to be attached to a different blockchain. And so uh, I think we still have a lot of testing to do with like the actual radios before committing to that, or it could be also different zones have different models. Uh, but it'll either be something like each zone is its like own Cosmos zone uh, running a tendermint, or each zone is like its own roll-up or something to that effect. Uh, but the end goal, whichever it is, is that each zone has like its own consensus between uh, the nodes about what's happening over radio. Ryan, switching, switching gears here a little bit. Um, I, I forgot to ask this earlier, but just from like a company perspective, like starting up in this space, what were what were some early lessons that uh, you've learned that kind of like surprised you as you like entered this this industry? Um, being too optimistic, everything that's happening now that everyone's super excited about, uh, we thought was like about to happen in 2016, <laughs> of like DAOs, uh, governing projects, like social tokens, uh, badges, um, and so basically 
having an understanding for how long, you know, these kinds of like paradigm shifting technologies take and um, understanding how much like work and research working in the hardware realm is compared to, you know, um, smart contracts. Um, so I'm not sure if that ends on any sort of advice, but definitely, you know, not giving up on that vision of, you know, we thought everything was about to happen. And then the Dow hack happened <laughs> in like uh, 2016. I think we were like pitching a VC then about foam Dow. So uh, it can be discouraging, but as we're seeing like currently today, how much activity is going on in DeFi and NFTs, you know, these ideas definitely are pervasive and will come to light. So, Yeah, that's, um, I think that's awesome advice. And I, I think it also speaks to like the work you guys are doing to kind of um, go through that entire 2017 run up, boom, bust, you know, and uh, you guys are still kind of just like checking along, building, executing on the vision of what you guys see uh, for the future in this industry. So I, I think that's awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And cool. Ryan, I thank you for coming on the space and uh, speaking about foam. I'm super bullish on the project. Chase, me and I were looking at the white paper last night. Yeah, that's great. Um, with the kind of trust zone, we're going to be looking to reactivate community building and have a discord as well. So we've been very heads down and aware of that. So happy to be on this show as a first of, you know, sharing what's to come. Coming on and sharing this. Uh, it's This is like where I think like the blockchain industry as a whole starts to get really interesting is when we start to see um, these like very niche areas are solving real world problems and using this technology to bring um, a lot more uh, efficiency to the world and good to the world, just enabling a lot more value to be created generally. Um, I think this is just like one of those use cases where uh, blockchain is going to be a massive enabler to like GDP growth just around the world as a whole. Um, so, yeah. So thank you for coming on. Uh, Mewtwo, I don't know if we have any other requesters. But um, if not, I think this is like a good place to close it out. Yeah, and I, don't have, I don't have any other requests. Um, still experiencing some connectivity. So uh, Ryan, if uh, thanks for coming on the space, man. I really, really appreciate you uh, taking the time out and, and educating everyone. Uh, we, do, we do record these. Are you okay with us uh, putting this on YouTube? Oh, I was muted. Yep, definitely okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh yeah. Th thank you so much, man. Um, and thanks for all the guests that came on and, and asked Ryan questions about foam. Uh, it's definitely a low-key project, so that's something I'll, I'll be definitely still uh, keeping tabs on. And I uh, would love to have you back on as you release uh, more versions of the uh, of the project. Yeah, that would be really great. And I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you all. And thanks for everyone who had a question. Thank you again, Ryan. Oh, uh, yeah. Stay everybody. based, Wait. everyone. Wait, I actually took notes on this entire thing. Um, are you okay with me posting them? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Sweet. That's base. Let's go. <laughs> Stay Thanks, based. Everybody. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> everybody. Great, Peace.